what, a couple months ago, we did a, a, a message and we were kind of looked at songs of praise and worship. And as we, we picked some of our favorite hymns and we talked about the backstory and who they were written by and what they were written for. And it was really interesting to kind of hear some of the stories. Some of them were written out of great moments of joy and some out of pain and desperation. And, and one of my favorites, of course, is It Is Well With My Soul, you know, the great loss. And he still wrote that. And, and these Christmas songs, these hymns, these carols, they're so much the same, right? There's so, so much joy in, in them. And, and they just it's fun to kind of get them out and, and dust them off once a year and sing them again and, and really understand that they are written about Christ, our Savior, who came and saved us. What a great gift that was. But last week, we talked about God's kind of kindness and some of the ways that he shows his loving kindness towards us. We also talked about the ways we show kindness towards each other, not just by being polite, not just by following the examples, or not just by being polite, but by following the examples of God the Father and, and the life that Jesus Christ, our Savior, lived. And I challenged all of us to up our game a little bit last week, not only in how often we show kindness, but also by taking the ways we show kindness to another level, beyond mere politeness and good manners, but to truly show kindness in all that we do. So how did you guys do? It's a test, wasn't it? You had family around and you had the craziness of the holiday shopping kicked off. I mean... Some of the guys, some of the examples you guys included loving others and sharing and, and forgiving, just to name a few. This past week when, when your patience was tested as you tried to coordinate your Thanksgiving plans and activities, did you remain kind? I'm not going to make eye contact. I accidentally saw a nod. <laughs> when your compassion was tested by family members who may have said or done something that bothered you, did you remain loving? Did anyone broach the tender topic of politics this year? Good guys. <laughs> when your self-control was tested as the craziness of the holiday shopping season went into high gear, did you remain forgiving? So Sherry's son, Jacob, my stepson, Jacob, endured his first Black Friday as a cashier at Target, which means he worked 4 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. On, on Thanksgiving and then 9 to 3 on Friday. And uh, he seemed less than impressed with the amount of kindness that was shown. Um, Craziness, I think, is what he did, and, and he's a, a fantastic young man, but um, social interaction with strangers is probably not his forte, which um, will make him very good at his career choice of, in computers, but at the same time, he, I think everybody should spend a little time in retail or, or food service, right? Because doesn't it make you appreciate how to treat people, right? Um, so and throughout this past week, did you show kindness to yourself? by remembering that you too deserve love and forgiveness. It's tough, right? It's a lot to remember. All these commandments and instructions for a good, happy and healthy, blessed life. It's a lot to remember. And I, I remember learning to hit a golf ball, which I never quite mastered. It looks so effortless when people do it, right? They got that swing and it makes that nice ping and the ball just goes straight for them. Straight. But there was all these things you had to learn. You had to keep your arms straight and keep a firm grip and turn your hips, you know, keep your head down, follow through. And that's like eight of the 30 things you have to remember. And after I do that, I have to back up three inches because that's about how far I missed it by and try it again. Right? There's so much to remember. And it's true, God has given us a lot to remember. But the good thing, he's written it all down. Right? He's written it all down for us. 
So whether you gave yourself a stellar performance in acting with kindness this past week, or even if you backslid a little bit this week from where you were before, I want to challenge you to give it another go this week. Try again. Try harder. Okay? Don't be so hard on yourself if someone puts you in a position where you allow yourself to lose you know, some of your patience and some of your kindness. Be better next time. That's forgiveness, and that's part of the kindness that God and Jesus modeled. So I wasn't kidding when I say don't forget to love yourself. Don't forget to forgive yourself. Well, this week marks the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means the arrival of a notable person or event. And this Sunday and the next week, we prepare ourselves for the arrival of our Savior Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. We mark this period with special decorations around the building, and we light a candle each week of the Advent wreath, and we pay special acknowledgement to the hope or the love or the joy and the peace that would come to save us as the ultimate expression of love and kindness. And the Gospel of John reminds us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And this is important because fear, like anxiety and so many of these nasty things that cling on to us, they manifest themselves as anger and frustration. And both of these are contrary to kindness. Now, I didn't always believe that, at least I didn't understand it, but when dealing with some issues with anger and depression in the past, I sought the counsel of a professional that helped me realize that the root of these things that I was struggling with was deep-seated fears and anxieties that I had. So think about that for a moment. Is it possible that the negative feelings you have towards someone is out of fear or hurt of a rejection? Is there a reason that you lashed out in anger because you were anxious or stressed? I mean, that's, that's my button. You put me in a... A situation where there's a lot going on and it's hot and uncomfortable and loud and noisy. So don't ever take me to a Chuck E. Cheese. That place drives me nuts. Um, you do. You get angry. You just get irritable. Or when you're not feeling good, that's where this comes from. If we were to dive deep into our feelings and then be truly honest with ourselves, we can see the validity of the statement. There's a calmness that comes from that inner peace. So let's tackle some fears and anxieties this morning. And I, and I have to be honest, I'm not going to solve all the issues. However, I'm going to help you with an awareness that should help you find some peace. Let me start with these words of comfort from 1 Peter 5, 6-7. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so to the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why do we do this? Because he cares for you. And I'm not just saying this. I'm reading this from his word. It says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Now let me top that by sharing with you three little words that address everything you need to know. He has come. He has come. The good news is that we are called to share is that he has come to provide hope to the world and a path to salvation for all people. He absolutely came for you in mind. And he absolutely came with me in mind. And this is true this is the true gift of Christmas, the true message of Christmas, and he came for absolutely everybody. But one comes next is up to you. Will you accept the gift by claiming him as your Lord and Savior? Will you ask for the forgiveness of your sins and then accept the wonderful mercy and grace that he has promised to you? Will you share this with others so that they too may be blessed? Jesus' own words from John 15:5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You see, it matters the company you keep and what you bind yourself to. He is the vine, we are the branches, okay? Apart from him we can do nothing, with him we bear much fruit. 
which brings me back to this week's scripture, remember, which is Ecclesiastes 4.12. But let's, let's begin at verse 9 for some context. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to pick them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Then we get to the verse we read this morning. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Has anybody seen one of these? It's a paracord. They're used in parachutes in World War II, but now you can make bracelets out of them and all kinds of stuff. But it's a paracord. And it's specifically, it's a 550 paracord, which means it can hold how much weight? That's right. What a trick question. And if I were to put two of these together, it'd hold twice as much weight, right? 1,100 pounds. 1,100 pounds, right. Approximately, yes. If I were to put three of these, three times as much, right? You don't have to shout it out. I can see you. your eyes are crossing. Yeah. <laughs> but when I twist them or braid them together like this, do you know what happens? It becomes even stronger. A very cool aspect of physics, which says that the combined strength grows exponentially. That means it doesn't just double and, and go again. It grows exponentially. Some guy with more knowledge than me on the subject explains it this way. He says, wound cords as three are stronger than three individual cords. This is the principle behind cables for suspension bridges. Right? If you saw the little wires that hold the bridge up, you'd panic. But when they're all wound together, it creates this massive structure that holds cars and concrete and all that. And then the three would have a larger diameter than just the individual. But it isn't just the number of diameter that adds the strength. The outer fibers are not stressed as much as the smaller compared to a single diameter. Hence, stronger final product because there is a constant balance of tension and compression. It sounded like I knew what I was talking about, didn't I? Gotta love Google. Many people try to use science to explain God, but you know what? It was God that created science. We try to say this proves or disproves it exists, but he made all these things. He made this physics. And, and the quote from the scripture reflects the knowledge of his scientific principle that existed long before man even discovered it. God knew the physics of this quarter of three. He put it in his word. And then years later, we discover it and make things out of it. And we say, oh, we discovered physics. No, God created physics. So we take our three strands and we bind them together, right? I've already pulled it apart, but I, I learned how to braid for this. I, my poor daughter, I never braided her hair once. Um, but I, I learned this, I Googled this too, and so it's kind of like that. And uh, the principle applies to every aspect of our lives, right? And you hear this, this verse a lot in, in a marriage, right? Um, a man and a woman marry, and you can understand the little reference of the, of the scripture. It's safer, it's stronger, it's warmer, and they can, they can pick each other up because that's how God designed us. That, you know, we're supposed to compliment, as in compliment with an eye, like, you look nice today, honey, you know? But we're also supposed to compliment as in complete each other. You know, the, your, your spouse is not the mirror image of you. They, they do some things differently and something's better and something's not so good and you you complete each other right and this this so the string is you know these two people wound together and you make this awesome couple or you're supposed to so we add this third string which is god and then it says a cord of three is not easily broken right because when everything else gets stressed or there's tension whatever there's that sing, that single 
strand that holds it together. Or consider yourself as an individual strand, and, and you can be the orange one here, and, and you know, all the stuff that happens in life. Maybe this one here with all the different colors, maybe that's a good, because there's some bright yellows that are comforting, and there's some black, which, you know, maybe that's a little tougher, and some green, new growth, I don't, I don't know. But, um, you know, you've got all these, and, and you know, your life is, is intertwined with the choices you make, where you go to school, and, and who your friends are, and what your career choice is, and where you live. And, and sometimes this is good, sometimes it gets, it gets tough. But when you add the third strand that is God to all of this stuff, okay, you make that cord that's not easily broken. So listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians 10.13 in the context of three, three strands. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except it's common to man. And we share this one often. It says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with a temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So with God's ever-presence in your life, you can endure the periods of tension and compression, right? The physics of life. He is constant. So bind yourself to him so that you may escape or at least bear the weight of the struggle. And what's interesting, even these cords that hold 550 pounds took one apart. This is what's inside of it. More strands wound together, and each one of these is more strands wound together. I would not want to dangle from anything with, with that. No. This is how God worked in Joseph's life too, remember? His brothers, in a fit of jealousy, had sold him into slavery. And he was taken off to a, to a far-off land where he was you know, put into slavery. And, and through a, a story that I'll share another time, that he was elevated to the right hand of the, the Pharaoh. And when it came time of, of famine and drought in the land, and, and the brothers came to you know, to try to get something for their family so they could live because they were, they were suffering. But, but Joseph, with the wisdom he had been given from God, had, had stored things for years, and they had enough for this time of famine. But Genesis 45, 5-8 tells a story. And it says, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. He said, For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years a famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So he's saying, look, we're only two years through this famine. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. What an interesting thought that you did this to me, but you know what? Really God did, or God used it. God used it. And he has made me a father to the Pharaoh, made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord to all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Okay? So let's jump ahead to Genesis 50, 20, where he sums up the message in these words. He says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the savings of many lives. Do you understand that? We, sometimes we find ourselves in the, in the middle of a famine. And he had the benefit of knowing there's five more years and had the wisdom from God to know to plan for that seven-year famine. We don't always know if we are on year one or year six of what we're going through. But God says, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to allow some things to happen that aren't good, that aren't comfortable. But I'm going to use them for, for my good. My good. I didn't create this illness. I did not create this financial stress in your life. But I'm going to use it for my good. 
says, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done. You know, I mentioned that it matters who or what you bind yourself to or, or what you allow to bind to you. So listen to Apostle Paul's words in regard to being bound to Christ Jesus. It's from Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay? We're bound to Jesus. So now we're saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom we now receive the reconciliation. We tie ourselves to Jesus, and when he was raised, we were raised. And in Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.11, this is a faithful saying. He says, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. But again, I want to warn you to be careful what you bind yourself to, not the wrong person or the wrong things. Receive these words in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or love one and hate the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that's an example he used. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put, it, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's saying you can, you've got one cord. What are you going to tie it to? What are you going to intertwine it with? With the things of this world or to Jesus? In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter in chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. We also know Philippians 4.13 and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is that cord in the middle that holds it all together. I even write a bunch of these last night. Joshua, I have not have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you're intertwined with him, he is always with you. Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How about this? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Remember this, Matthew 10. Behold, I am always with you till the end of age. And Paul, Paul with his the way he writes his, his letters. He doesn't leave any room for ambiguity. If Paul, Paul would make a good lawyer. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, okay, you'd think that would encompass everything, but no, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you know, it would be good enough just to say nothing can separate us from God. But he said, you know, nothing you can think of. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, nor things to come, no powers, no height, no depth, nothing. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Now, isn't that comforting? 
no matter how hard we try to mess it up, and sometimes we do, he says, I love you more than that. So is God really with us in our everyday lives? Or is God in some far off way heaven looking down with mild interest? You know, we like that vision of, of God looking down and smiling, or sometimes he just shakes our head, or he does one of these because can't believe what we're doing. But that's not how he works. I want you to consider this when you think about that question. This is from the Psalms 139. The psalmist says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my laying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? You know, there's two ways to look at that. He knows me. He searches my soul. He knows everything about me. I mean, this is the ultimate, you know, see right through you and know. Now, does that bring you comfort? Because the, what you think about and what you do and what you say would be pleasing? Or does that make you feel just a little uncomfortable? Like maybe there's some stuff that I don't need him getting into. So that's called accountability. And the Spirit lives within you, calls you to do better. So you can say, you've searched me and you know me and you love me. So I ask the question again, is, is God really with us in our everyday lives? Or is he far, some far away heaven looking down with just mild interest? Okay? He's with us in everyday lives if you have chosen to make him a part of it. If you have intertwined yourself with him. So only you can answer that for yourself. But I assure that he wants to be with you in your everyday life. He created within you a need for the things that only he can provide. Will you bind yourself to him? Will you form an unbreakable cord of three that includes God, the Father in your life, and your, whether it's with your work or in your marriage or in your home? Will you put him as a part of that? Will you make that decision? Let's pray. Father God, such a simple demonstration of three cords intertwined together and the strength they create. Long before man knew the science of why it worked, you knew that it worked. And you said, do this. Make me the third cord in everything you do, in your life, in your job, in your marriage, in your finances. And as there's tension, as there's stress, as there's a pulling, there'll be one strong constant there that doesn't just increase it 50%, but exponentially. God, we ask for your blessing over us. This time of year in particular, as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the King, as we prepare to recognize on Christmas Day the wonderful gift that Jesus is, help us to prepare our hearts and our souls by focusing on you with a kingdom perspective, by including you in all aspects of our lives. And God, as you see in us, as you see through us, and you know the words and our thoughts and our actions, let them be good and pure and pleasing to you. And God, as always, I want to conclude this time by lifting up the empty places in the pews, the reminder they serve, that there's room in this building, in this house, in this world for a relationship with you. God, may people be constantly seeking you, 
And when possible, put those people in our paths. We may reach out with the wonderful good news. We ourselves know that you love us without condition, without limit, without term. God, we give this service to you. May all we do be pleasing. Amen. Now, as is our tradition on the first Sunday of the month, we celebrate communion. And it seems, well, that really doesn't seem strange. It's actually really appropriate. Here we are saying those three words that says, it is finished, as we're preparing for the three miraculous words that he has come. And it seems appropriate because the reason his birth is so important is because of his death. And if you think about that's true, the reason that we celebrate his birth is because we celebrate his death and what he's done for us. And so on the first Sunday of the month, we take the elements, we take the bread, and just as he did, as he sat down with his disciples on that last supper, he took the loaf and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this and eat. And likewise, he gave thanks. And he took the wine and he poured the wine after giving thanks to his father. And he said, this wine is the covenant. It's my blood. It's the new covenant. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he said, as often as you do this, as often as you take this bread and drink this wine, do this in remembrance of me. And we try to do this every day in our lives, but certainly the first Sunday of the month, we take a quiet moment of reflection where we take the communion elements, but we also just sit and we listen. And maybe God will tell us something we need to be doing right now. Or maybe he just says, take a break. Enjoy the silence.